Welcome back to the Weekly Rundown with Atlas. The official podcast by Monash International Affairs Society. We are your hosts, Shania and Phoebe Anka. Hi everyone, we're back again. Happy Friday. And happy E to those who are celebrating. And happy 4th of May, because that's the day that we're recording this episode today. <laughs> Hope everyone's had a great week this past week. I think we'll Head dive, into it? Yeah, dive yeah. straight into it. All right. Um, we'll start off with you, Shania, with Russia-Ukraine. Yeah, so we're touching back on Russia-Ukraine a bit. We're first going to be talking about the Russian default or potential for default. Mm. Russia recently almost defaulted on its foreign debt and had to dip into its scarce dollar reserves in order to prevent this. Mm. The Russian government wanted to initially pay in rubles instead of dollars. However, they ended up using their limited internal foreign currency to do so. If bonds specify payment in dollars, then paying in ruble amounts to a failure to pay as promised. One reason Russia would want to pay in rubles instead of its reserves of foreign currency is that a large part of them have been frozen abroad. Mm. Yeah, I've heard about that. I mean, especially since the world is still being very cold towards Russia. I heard there's been a lot of freezing of foreign assets, Mm -hmm. that type of situation. Yeah, exactly. So the government has claimed that U.S. sanctions freezing its massive currency reserves Mm. held abroad meant it couldn't pay and that Russia wasn't to blame for any default. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. But I guess also, you know... That's what's happening. Exactly. There's sanctions for a reason. Yeah. In total, Russia owes about $40 billion in foreign bonds. And before the war, they had around $640 billion in foreign wow. currency in gold, which was predominantly held overseas but is now frozen. Yeah, yeah. So what's the impact uh, with this Russian default? What's going to happen? So the country's already suffering a significant economic impact as mm. a result of Western sanctions, which resulted in foreign companies fleeing and yeah. a disruption of trade yeah. and financial ties with the rest of the world. Yeah. So a default would serve as one more symptom of that isolation and disruption. Mm. For the broader world, the head of the IMF said that it wouldn't be systematically relevant at all, pretty much. Yeah, it wouldn't affect yeah. anything that's happening with them. Yeah, and actually, let's shift um, into other Ukraine-Russia news. Yeah, yeah, so shifting our focus more to the Pacific, I guess, Mm. we can see that there are a lot of Pacific Island nations that have been left to try to balance regional alliances with both the West and China and Russia. Ah, I see. So comments by Putin about the potential use of nuclear weapons have also hit a nerve with these nations as they have long been affected by the terrible effect Mm -hmm. of nuclear weapons testing by the US, by France and the UK. Mm. The response has definitely not been positive or even neutral, really, with the Federated States of Micronesia even going so far as to sever diplomatic ties with Russia. Mm. Ten Pacific Island nations were also among the 93 countries that voted to suspend Russia from the UN Human Rights Council last month. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you don't want to relive that trauma. You want to just cut it at its root. Exactly, and it's a clear violation of their human rights. Yeah. Um, But of the Pacific Islands, Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands seem the most sympathetic or neutral towards Russia. Mm-hmm. 
I think it is important, though, to acknowledge that this attitude of Russia's veiled threat to use nuclear weapons isn't a stance adopted by these nations just for Russia. They also stood by it when the US and France conducted nuclear tests in the Pacific for years and violated human rights in the process. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. So it's definitely like a sustained opinion that they have, which I think is... Good to see. Exactly. So that they're not really... Yeah, they're not biased towards either nation. They're genuinely interested in what's good for their human rights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thanks for that, Shania. That's a well-needed update on Russia-Ukraine, especially Mm -hmm. you hear Russia-Ukraine on the news all the time. You don't know which one to look out for or even, like, which one to consume. And I think that there's been, like, a few changes, shifts in the dynamic since we last talked about it. Definitely. So, yeah, thanks for that. We'll move on to me then. I recently found something in the news by The Guardian And it's actually about the Taliban. They say that the Taliban swapping guns for pens to learn about human rights. Which is an interesting turn of events. Definitely. And we haven't really touched much about um, the Taliban and Afghanistan on this podcast yet. Mm -hmm. So it'll be good to share with you all. Yeah. Yeah. So more info on what's been happening with this is that there's been uh, two-day classes on international humanitarian law and this is organized by a humanitarian organization called Geneva Co. So they're a group that was um, pretty much sent to Afghanistan and they're helping young Taliban fighters uh, to essentially integrate into Afghanistan society, helping them to integrate and have normal lives essentially. So yeah, these span from uh, young adults to children. And these classes, essentially, they touch on topics of preventing gender violence, and um, helping them to be more sympathetic to the overall Afghanistan society. So yeah, that's pretty interesting. And another thing to note about this is that these are Taliban fighters and they're very young and they started when they were very young so around like 60 percent of them actually can't read i think something that i found really interesting was the fact that they had to almost be trained to yeah empathize with other people yeah that was one of the things that i read in the article was that they they had to be pretty much trained to to be empathetic yeah Yeah, and feel for others yeah definitely and Actually, yeah, one part of the article really struck out to me when one of the Taliban fighters, Mm -hmm. they said that they were trained um, with a scenario that if they were in a hospital, why is it not good to bring guns with them? Mm -hmm. And then the young man replied, oh, because it would scare them. Mm -hmm. And it was just, yeah, like you said, very interesting to see them, like, learning to empathize. Yeah, it gives us an insight into what their development process has been like mentally. Yes, definitely. And I think uh, just to... Provide a bit of history on the issue for those that might not be well-versed in it. Exactly. Um, So last year in August 2021, the Taliban officially took over Afghanistan and the U.S. troops withdrew last year, allowing the Taliban to take over the rest of Afghanistan. And essentially, the Taliban has transitioned from a fighting force to a government almost overnight, because mm-hmm. within a span of three months, that is really fast. Yeah. And yeah, like quoted in The Guardian, it said that they had almost no preparation, no training or understanding of things like human rights norms. So it's great to see that we have 
the Geneva call, mm-hmm. bringing in people to educate yeah. them. And also yeah. the fact that these youths are willing to be educated on these issues as well, I yeah. think is really great. Definitely. So, yeah, there's some few opinions um, and a few quotes that I can draw from the article. Mm-hmm. Uh, one young man said that this war took the best years of my life. When I see people who are educated, I feel bad and I wish I was them. Mm-hmm. So that was one perspective. And we hear from um, Ashley Jackson, who's the co-editor of the Center of the Study of Armed Groups at the Overseas Development Institute. Um, She said it is is very important to keep engaging with the Taliban. Even small changes to their behavior could save lives. So, yeah, what the future is looking like for this initiative is that Geneva calls said that they'll be training approximately 200 to 400 people per month across Afghanistan. Um, starting in Kabul first mm-hmm. and then spreading out to the rest of the other states. I guess what we would like to see from like an international perspective mm-hmm. is that we would like to see these classes extended mm-hmm. as long as it possibly can because yeah. it's a long learning process to inform them about human rights and about Afghanistan culture and overall society norms. Yeah, I think it would also be great to see these classes extended to not just classes about human rights, but other Mm -hmm. topics as well, so that we're expanding their education as well, especially considering they've allowed this organisation to come in and educate the youths. I wonder if they would be willing to make other concessions, such as those surrounding women's rights. But I don't know if that kind of that would be interesting though because yeah. it's sort of a middle eastern culture that's mm-hmm. that would tie in yeah i think it, it might it has the potential to clash with their interpretation of yes. their religion yes which could be problematic yes exactly but overall i think this was a great first step yeah and um and i also know for a while it's been hard for journalists to Mm -hmm. to come out of Afghanistan and to deliver these kind of news. So it's really good to see firsthand and to read about it and what's happening and the situation in Afghanistan. Exactly, more positive news. Definitely. Well, I think that was it for me. Yeah, I think we can wrap up on a A good good note. note. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, we hope you guys have a lovely weekend. It is Mother's Day this Sunday for everyone in Australia. Hope you have a great weekend. And don't forget to tune in to next week's episode of the Weekly Rundown. And don't forget, you can always contribute your ideas and opinions via our socials below. Thanks, guys. Bye.